You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Samantha Chris, and with me today is Christopher Astacio. Christopher is a teacher in New York City and a softball coach from the Bronx, which is one of the poorest districts in the United States. He has been honored by Ellen DeGeneres, the New York Yankees, and the Mets for developing an inner city softball program dedicated to saving lives. He is the founder of the League for Fast Pitch Softball, which will serve over 300 girls in the inner city. He is also a stomach cancer survivor and a father to a son and beautiful autistic daughter. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. That sounds so great when you say it. (laughs) (laughs) So we are all about change at The Catalyst, and you've dedicated your life to change in a pretty significant way with the work that you're doing to help kids living in poverty. Why is that something that you're so passionate about? I think... Kids living in poverty sometimes often do not have a voice. And to give those kids a voice is very crucial into ensuring that their survival in the world, making sure these kids have a chance as well. And um, me growing up personally, myself in poverty, um, I felt like I'd have a voice. And I wish I had someone like myself when I was growing up to help me find that voice and just help me through life in general. So I, my my life's mission right now is to help every soul I touch, every ch- child that I come in contact with, whether they be in poverty or not in poverty, just to make sure they have a voice and they're heard. Mm, that's beautiful. Your sister was always an advocate for change as well and someone whose efforts you really admired greatly. How did she shape your relationship with change and kind of spark this desire to make such an impact? God bless my sister. Um, you know, if she was still alive, I, I will, I would love for her to be part of my journey. She's not alive, but I'm, I'm proud to continue her legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she grew up like my girls in the industry in the Bronx. She grew up, um, like me, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, she did make a lot of poor decisions, a lot of bad decisions, but that didn't stop her from changing her life from learning from her mistakes. And when she was of age and she came and she became a mother, she decided, Hey, listen, I, you know, I struggle so much as a teen. I want to give back to my community. I want to help. I want to help girls my age. And she really, really became a leader in her community, an advocate for children. At that time, I was a, a little bit too young to really comprehend what she was doing. Um, she did ask me a couple of times, Hey, Chris, um, why don't you help me? You, you're good with kids. Um, help me change the world. And at the time, of course, I wasn't interested. It was I only became instru- interested when I became a father. Mm-hmm. And she, she said, you know what? You're a father now and you have to make a better world for your son. You have to change the world along with me. And I kind of I took a step back and I said, you know, you're right. But when it was time for me to actually help her, she died. She died on... Mother's Day, ironically, mm-hmm. ironically. And I just remember when I went to her funeral, there were so many kids there. 
And I'm saying to myself, am I, am I at the right funeral? This, this is, this is kind of weird. Who are these people? And one by one, these kids came up to me and said, you know, your sister, she was so inspirational. She helped me through so much. And I just felt horrible inside because I could have helped her prior to that. And I went up to her casket. I actually held her hand. And I said to her, and I promised her at her casket, I'm going to continue what you've been doing. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to stop. And I said, I hope you'd be proud of me. And I just hope that she's looking down and I hope she is proud of me. And that's why, you know, I couldn't save my sister. But sometimes every time I help out one of my girls, I feel like I'm saving a little part of my sister. I've got tears in my eyes. That is so moving. And I have no doubt that if she was here, she would be so proud. And it is truly incredible that you've picked up the baton and that you are carrying forth her legacy. You mentioned something that I think even those who perhaps has not have not lived um, a similar path can resonate with that when we see people in need, particularly children, that there is this desire to want to try and save them. And has that ever felt like a burden for you? I mean, there are so many kids that, that we could be helping. Has that ever felt kind of insurmountable? At times I feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. because I'm being pulled in every direction. It's, it's as if I have strings connected to all parts of my body and I'm just being yanked. But I'm, I try not to let that stop me. I just keep going. I, of course, I have my own children who have their own needs, but I also consider those who I help as my children as well. And it's just so hard to help everyone at the same time, especially when you don't have the monetary needs to, to actually help these kids. Um, and the time, um, some kids, you know, they need, they require so much time and I just can't give that time. And I wish I had more time in the world. I wish I could clone myself 500 million times. (laughs) I wish I could do that. I mean, it just, I get emails, I get texts, you know, sometimes um, students just want to talk about how they are feeling and I might be talking to someone else or I might be doing something else and I just have to drop everything for them. And I just, it's just very hard. I just, I'm trying to be there for everybody at the same time, but it's just so hard, but I don't let that be an excuse. Um, I want to be there for everyone. I want to make sure everyone is um, thriving or is finding some kind of help. If I can't help them, then I'm going to find someone else. So I'll find someone to help them. Mm-hmm. How do you find the strength to continue? I mean, like you said, you're being pulled in multiple different directions. There's no shortage of people who could benefit from your help, your time, your resources. I mean, what fills your cup? Um, my family's my strength. My son's my strength. My daughter's my strength. Uh, my daughter, as you know, is autistic. And when she was born, we thought that she was be that she will be nonverbal, mm. and just to see her transformation from a nonverbal to someone who's functioning a functioning autistic, you know, her story is more inspirational than mine. Like her story is a story of strength, and every time I see her, every day I see her, and her curiosity and her willingness to always want to learn despite her struggles. She has severe dyslexia, but still she tries to push through. And she talks so much now, so much. <laughs> I mean, and when she was young, she used to bite me on the shoulder to get my attention. She used to 
scream and she, it was it was heartbreaking because I knew my daughter was trying to say something, but I couldn't understand her. But now she just she is so articulate and she talks so much. I'm like sometimes I'm like, um, could you please be quiet? I I have a headache. <laughs> but her story of strength, what well, that's what keeps me going because I know every child has some story of strength and I just have to find it. I just have to tap into it. And once I tap into it, then they 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 can become um, the true versions of themselves, the best versions of, the, of themselves. And I believe every every child has that that chance to be someone great. It just someone they need this one person, just one person to believe in them. And I believe my daughter, she had that one person. Well, she had a lot more than one person, but you know she needed that person to believe in her to have that progress, as well as my son. They have a great role model. I, I try sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough, especially when they're going, sometimes when they're going through things, like my son right now is going through a lot. He's currently admitted in the hospital. Um, I feel like sometimes I want to take his, his shoes. I'm like, I want to say, hey, here, I'll tag in. You you just, you know, take my shoes. I'll take your shoes. I'll take the pain for a while. Um, but I can't do that. And mm-hmm. I, sometimes I feel like I fail my kids when they go through something. Do they ever feel or have they ever felt like they've come second to the other kids that you work with? How do you balance that? That is a great question. Yes, there are times where my family, not just my kids, but even my wife feel like I'm replacing them with a new family, mm-hmm. a new family that's not even blood. And I often try to tell my wife and my kids, like, I, want, I don't want you to think about, think of these, these extra people as, you know, intruders just because they're not blood. Um, just think of them as extended family. And I'll say, I'll tell them, I'll never try to replace you guys. There's no way I'll try to replace you. But I understand where they're coming from because, you know, there are times where, you know, my son or my daughter, my wife needs my help and I'm just too busy. And I'll say, you know, what? just give me a few more minutes or a few more minutes turns into an hour or hours turn to days. It's not like I do it intentionally. It's just I'm being pulled as so many directions and I try not to do anything intentionally. But, you know, when you're when you're needed in so many areas, it's so hard not to hurt people's feelings and not make them feel like they feel last. Mm-hmm. So I, I try my best to include my family in everything. Like my daughter, I include my daughter in everything. We go to practices together. She, she always came with me to practices. Um, I had raised once in 2014, I raised $40,000, believe it or not, $40,000 to take my softball team to Florida State University. And in 2016, I raised 20, 20 something thousand dollars to take my girls to Chicago University. And that time I took my daughter with me. Hmm. So she spent the time with me. I wanted to include her in everything, as well as my son. He'll come to practices with me. Always wanted them, wanted them to be included. That's beautiful. And I can imagine that it's difficult to not only be there for your family and make sure that they are provided for and feel seen and heard, but also, you know, change the world for the kids that you're working with. And then you get this curveball, you know, as if that wasn't enough, but you're blindsided by an unexpected diagnosis of stomach cancer. What was that like? It, it was like, as if God was laughing at me, as if God said, ha you thought you had plans. Guess what? I'm going to change that. 
at first I thought I thought like that at first. It was just a slap in the face because I had I had struggled so hard to become the person and the father I was. I just feel like it was not fair. It was not fair. It was it wasn't fair to me, but most important, it wasn't fair to my for my kids. Mm-hmm. I just remembered my my daughter had just been born. And I just the first thing I thought was, wow, my daughter is not going to grow up. My daughter is going to grow up without a father. That was the first thing I saw. I think I think I didn't care about myself. I just care where my children were going to be because I know from experience and as being from being a teacher, a teacher, a teacher um, in the South Bronx, I know what it is to not have a father in their lives. I've seen kids just, they need that father figure. Mm-hmm. They need, they need that. And I, I felt so bad that, you know, they might not have, my kids may not have that. So I made it my, my, my goal to beat this thing. Whatever it took, I was going to beat it. How did you shift from the feeling? Like, I understand it was a conscious choice, but how did you, you know, maybe more, a little more tactically shift from the place of this isn't fair. I can't believe this is happening to, oh no, I'm going to come out of this. Like what went off in your mind? Well, I, I thank God for my wife. Cause she was really, she really helped click that thing in my brain that told me, Hey, listen, stop self-pitying yourself and mm-hmm. just you know it's time to take the reins of your life and, and she helped me choose pity over strength and I, cho- I chose strength and I decided listen I'm gonna no matter how hard it's gonna get I'm gonna just think always think positive no matter how hard it gets and whatever diagnosis prognosis whatever they're gonna say to me I was always gonna see the positive side and that's what I, from that day on, I always saw the positive, di- the positive side in the most dire situations. Mm. And that's really hard to do. That's not, that's easier said than done. I know, you know, I'm saying that to you and, and anybody who's listening to this be like, well, you know, that's really hard to do. It's extremely hard to do, but you know, if you're motivated, if you're dedicated, if you have support, you can do it. Did you ever catch yourself in those moments kind of maybe go, like starting to go down the path of, of a not so positive thought and you like switched yourself in the moment or was it just, you know, kind of cold turkey, like, no, positive only from this moment forward? That's a good question. There's something, something I often teach my kids. I'm like, listen, it's okay to feel like you're going to give up. I tell my kids, my kids and my students all the time. It's okay. You feel like you're going to give up. You're going you're to have those days you get up in the morning and you don't want to do anything. You just want to stay in bed and just lay there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, you're going to have those days or you feel like, you know, that's it. But the most important thing to do is not to give up and to get up. It, it might take hours to get up. It might take days to get up. The most important thing to do is get up. Mm-hmm. And because, I, I, you know, there's something there's a lot of kids that go through so much that if I, if I was in their shoes, I would want to give up too. I would want to crawl up in the corner and just stay there forever. And it's just, if you do stay there forever, there's no chance that stuff for you is ever going to change. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to do. You want to change. You don't want to stay in the corner. You want to change. So if you really want, want change, you will never give up no matter how hard it gets. It's a great message. 
You've worked at one of the most violent schools in New York. You've been subject to gang fights and school shootings. You've even been injured on the job. And when most people would walk away, you are determined to save the most violent and forgotten youth. How did you get through to these kids when everyone else had lost hope and you know, presumably walls have probably long since gone up in their lives? That's such an excellent question. Because, you know, kids have a great way of building up those walls and just blocking you out. Mm -hmm. And they look as teachers because I I was a student myself in the Bronx. And I often did look at teachers in the same way. They They look at teachers as if they were robots. As if, you know, you put a battery in their back, press go, and the teacher teaches and doesn't care. Doesn't, doesn't really care about what's going on in their lives. I didn't want to be that teacher. I didn't want to be that teacher that just taught about mathematical equations and history and just science. I didn't want to be that teacher. I wanted to be that teacher that touched lives, that taught kids how to not only understand mathematical concepts, but how to understand living in the world that they're living in. And so when I approached every kid that I came in contact with, I made sure I had that human touch on my, the, the, the human touch. Um, I made sure I empathized with their, where certain conditions they were, they were going through. I made sure that I cared. And I, and I told them, listen, you know what? I might be your teacher, but I could also be someone that you could talk to. I'm like, but do you just have to let me know? Cause I'm always there to help you. And some kids, you know, they, they took that hand out. They, they reached out and grabbed my hand. Other kids, it took them a while to do that, but I made sure I, I let all my children know that, listen, if you are ever, ever suffering, there is help. And I'm one of, I'm one of those people that you can come out to. And, you know, I also told them, you know, listen, you know, I'm not perfect myself. You know, I grew up in the South Bronx. I grew up in the Bronx, just like you, you know, I grew up with a stutter sometimes. Uh, it was really hard for me to talk. So I did feel like I had no voice. Mm. And I told, I, told, I told kids, you know, listen, having a voice is key to being heard. And I'm going to help you find that voice. And kids love the idea that, you know, someone could hear them. Mm-hmm. They, wanted, they wanted to be heard. They wanted, they just, they needed that person to help them to be heard. That's beautiful. What is one of the greatest lessons that either your students or the Lady Tigers have taught you? Patience. Patience is the greatest lesson of all. You want things to be done, and sometimes you want things to be done right now, but everything has its own um, timeline. You can't force anything. You can't push anything. You just have to have patience and faith that it's going to happen. All the patients in the world, I'm sure help, you know, in your individual efforts, but in order for this to scale to something that's bigger than you, in order to scale to something that has a ripple effect for generations to come, how can other people get involved to support you and your mission? I I do have a GoFundMe. Of course, it takes um, monetary funds to actually do some of the things I'm doing. Some of the funds do come from my own pocket. I mean, sometimes I cannot raise in the, the, the money that I need, but I say to myself, you know what? You know, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to do it any way I can. So I do have a GoFundMe that they could reach out to. You know, just if they even, they, if they can't give themselves, they could always refer to someone else, a dollar, $2. I don't care how much it is, 50 cents. That's fine with me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking for so much, so much, 
I'm just looking just enough to help me help my girls, help the students that I serve. Wonderful. And where can people connect with you to learn more and to see, you know, how they can contribute? Well, I do have an Instagram. Um, my Instagram is coach Stasio. Um, I can spell it up. It's coach A S T A C I O. Um, on the Instagram, you'll find the link to, um, the GoFundMe. Um, you also find the link to my league that serves 300 girls. Perfect. I'll make sure to include all those links, the social handle as well to Instagram in the show notes, Chris, the girls in your world, your family, everyone whose lives you touch, I'm, they're so grateful to have you. I am so grateful that you've taken time to speak with us today. Thank you for being on the show and for sharing a little piece of your mission. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.